Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello everyone, welcome to the newest edition of East Meets West. No, your ears are not deceiving you, there's been a switch of hosts for a change. It's me, it's your, it's the host this week, Grant McRobbie. I'm joined by the Gado to my Jay White, Scott McLeod. <laughs> I mean, I would be offended if Gado uh, didn't always have a stylish hat, you know, so I'll, I'll take that. He's a smart man, he knows how to book a tournament, because that is what we're here to discuss. The historic G1 Climax, the 30th edition. Completely mm-hmm. different from any other one we've had before. But before we go into that, go and do a little bit of housekeeping, where you can find us, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, on Anchor, Apple, Spotify. Our socials, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, at Suplex Retweet. You can check out shows like Central, which is being recorded at the same time we're recording at this time. There's also Saturday Draft Live, which also has Scott in it, Jack and that Hockney Hoggy boy. Um, and we also have and we also have our YouTube channel where our current champion at the time of recording, the GOAT, David Campbell, plugs conspiracy theories. He talks a lot of absolute nonsense, but we'll let him do it because he entertains folk. It's clearly for the tinfoil hat brigade. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Let's let's start not at the beginning of the G one. Let's discuss the end first. Let's talk about the historic final match between Sonada and Ibushi and how we got there. The fact mm-hmm. that we had we had two final nights in both blocks with absolute nail biting finishes. A block being driven with Jay White at the helm, controlling his own destiny. He had the easiest path to A block. But what did you think of the fact that despite having control, Jay White didn't win that A block? What did you think of that? Well, to be honest with you, I think we might talk about his journey a bit more detail uh, after this. But I actually thought Jay White was the favourite, not just to win A block, but to win the whole thing. Because I thought it was about time we had a heel uh, champion, or a heel winner of the tournament. And uh, also, like you said, with nail biting, like finishes the like. The final match of uh, the A block didn't even feature the person who went through because, you know, Ibushi was now up to 14 points and it was between White and Ishii. And if White won, he'd go through because he's already beaten Ibushi. So basically, it was one of those things like, because uh, Tomio Ishii always seems to have a stellar G1 performance. You can always uh, beat people you probably wouldn't expect him to, like he's beaten Okada in the tournament. I think he's beaten uh, Omega in the tournament before. So, like, it was one of the things that wasn't out with the realm of possibility for Ishii to beat Jay White. And, like, you're, I was on the edge of my seat the, the whole time. And also seeing Jay White almost looking like he's having a mini, like, breakdown when he realises that Abushi's going through instead of him. Yeah, I totally agree there. The, the, the sort of the dejected look on his face, not the, 
the petulant child that we've almost seen in other losses, but the fact that Gado was the one storming around the ring, kicking everything, blaming on the referee, not Jay White, could not believe that. I thought that was, I mean, that, if, you, if you cast your minds back, that was the final I, ca- I ca- predicted was Jay White and Sonada. I was only half right. Same, I, w- I was exactly like the, the same. And like, you, I don't know why I talk about the, the result, but I did not expect the result of the, the that we got for this tournament once we found out what the uh, the final was. I thought it'd be the other person that would that would win it. Uh, and also, I think it's very fitting that the B plot came down to Evil and Sanada, uh, especially given that both men had beaten Naito during the tournament. And like, yeah, if Sanada won, they'd be on equal points. But that means he would have beaten both uh, Evil and Naito. And I like how they've been using like the tiebreakers. Like we've been talking in previous shows and in private uh, on Messenger, but like this was really as they hyped up to be the tightest like A block and B block, probably in recent memory. Yeah, absolutely unreal. Sort of that B like going on to that B block final night where Naito had had a good shout. At, at, you know, becoming like a champion to actually make it to the finals, a champion that could actually win and. The thought of teasing that Naito Ibushi match so early, big, big thing, but no, Kenta rocked Naito with an absolute solid match. Oh. Yeah, like, briefly talking about that, like, I mentioned, like, maybe my new favorite Naito match was the match between him and uh, him and Kenta at New Beginning in Osaka, and they called back to it after, like, he hit Naito with the briefcase and talked about how Naito got split open during their New Beginning match and the, the way that he kind of played spoiler in Naito, even though specifically Kenta couldn't go through and you probably knew he wasn't going to given he's, his eyes are now focused on the US uh, championship but like Nigel did a good job in this match and then like he's only lost to like now three people Evil, Sonata and Kenta and I think they're all strong uh, enough people believable people to beat Nigel Yeah definitely I couldn't, I couldn't agree anymore some of the strikes in that match those knees that Kenta throw are brutal but mm. it led on. To, it led on to a match which I felt was. I, I was a little bit worried after the way A Block went unpredictable when it came to Evil and Sonada. I had the fear that Sonada was going to was going to really get sort of like fall victim to the usual Bullet Club shenanigans with Evil having his compadre Dick Togo there, who's just constantly interfering. And to mm. be honest, kind of. I'll be honest kind of getting to that point where it almost annoys me with his interference now as opposed to it being kind of funny. Yeah. And I thought it was nice that we, uh, Sonata had some help to finally overcome the Aussie. He had Hiromu then a Japanese commentary. I think the first thing we've seen him since the G1 properly kicked off. And like, they even implied on a Japanese commentary according to Chris Charlton sources that Hiromu just wandered into the building and wasn't meant to be there. And then he gets involved to help uh, Sonata. And we should mention Sonata had a similar journey this tournament that Jay White had uh, last year where he lost his first three and then had a miraculous like comeback to make it to the to the final. So I think it goes to show you can't count out people who lose their first couple of G1 matches. I think it was particularly frustrating that one of uh, Sonata's losses came to Yoshihashi, who, uh. like, that shot me. Okay, like, Yano he lost to. Like, you can never count out Yano Goto. He's a former G1 winner. And then Yoshihashi suddenly out of nowhere. But then... It also made it more surprising when this next match after Yoshihashi was against Naito and he won. Because like, I think by then already people were counting out 
now because you think realistically you're own three and now you're coming up against the double champ like you're not exactly the favorite in that scenario no definitely not i was i was like i came into the tournament sanada 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 and then he went those first three and i was like i was like yano i can forgive that but losing to yoshihashi i was fuming because yoshihashi you know that i'm not the biggest fan of him but my god he had a, he had a good showing this g1 he did didn't yeah. have the best record no, he only won like two matches. I think he beat Sonata here and then he beat Yano at the B block final. So so we're contrasting opponents there. But again, also Sonata coming up against Evil. That was the Sonata Evil match is the one we've been waiting for since Evil's turn. I think given that Evil shot this by winning the New Japan Cup, winning the double championships for a while, I think he managed to make himself a credible threat throughout up until coming up against Sonata. And I think it's a nice thing they've been kind of teasing some. Uh, of kind of tension between him and uh, Jay White potentially, especially after Evil's match with uh, Kento, where he kind of blanked him on the two sweet. Oh, that was that was absolutely beautiful. Look, I was like, are we getting another Bullet Club Civil War? Because, I mean, fun statistic: Jay White is now he's the longest running leader that Bullet Club has ever had because he's been running it for pretty much two years. Not even, not even Omega and Styles had ten years that long running Bullet Club. So. Is it going to be another bit of dissent? Evil was kind of joking, you know, can you trust Yujiro? Proper mind games. And Jay was losing it in the backstage comments. It was so funny to watch. And that needs need for a chair. Always needs a chair. Coming <laughs> yeah. uh, back to again of Abushi, like he had a, a strong run in the G1. It was, it was very interesting to see that on the, the main event of the first night of A-Block, they gave us a rematch of the first night of Wrestle Kingdom this year of him versus Okada. And that goes to show you the kind of quality of matches you're going to be in for for the rest of the tournament. This is what you're getting on night one. And they managed to kind of get some redemption and beat Okada. And then obviously, they kind of, his match with Taichi, his A-block final, was a, a very unique match. It's like only, pretty much only kicks were thrown other than like a back suplex and a kamigoi. It was pretty much just kicks. I believe officially, according to Rocky and Chris Charlton, like 158 kicks in total in that match. Oh, God, yeah. And you could see the damage of those kicks done when he came into the final with that leg so heavily taped up. It actually made it look skinny. It was so compressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was pretty much like, if you think back to New Beginning, when uh, Hiromu and Ryu Lee basically for the first five minutes did nothing but chop each other. That was it, but just over a longer period of time. <laughs> yeah, and with kicks right to the thigh. The sound and... You know, it was, it was such a weird G1 as well when we're think, like, thinking of all these sort of big matches and you had the most quiet crowds because they weren't allowed to chant. It made such a weird a weird finals. Yeah, and also like, yeah, it gave the opportunity for like, the heels, especially the Bullet Club members, kind of mock people like, come on, like, like Jay White trying to get the crowd to join him. He's saying too sweet as he's too sweet in Gato and like kind of doing kind of put his hand to you like, come on, let me hear you. Knowing fine well that the crowd can't uh, chant along. I know, that was absolutely hilarious. Although that Jay White and Ishii match at the end of A Block, the crowd did did break the rules a little bit. He ma- They managed to get the crowd making noise without meaning to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and like it was a strong finish for Ishii. He's always like my dark horse pick when it comes to these kind of tournaments. And uh, he didn't have the, the run I would have thought, but he managed to finish strong by basically playing spoiler to, to Jay White. Yeah, could not. I could not believe it when he hit that vertical drop, brainbuster. I was like, no way, 
that did not just happen. And it yeah, was, it was a sorry, downfall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that Virgo Drop Brain versus Official, we talk about, when we talk about other risks, like, we mentioned it in our Kenny Omega Okada show a while back about how Kenny, like, only probably managed to hit the uh, one winged angel in, like, the third match, and that's the B Okada, and talk about how New Japan protects finishers, like, Ishii only won matches that he managed to hit that brain buster and every match that he lost he'd either go for the brain buster and it would get countered or he never got an opportunity to properly like try and go for it and again protecting a finisher by not just having him hit it only for the person to kick out of it yeah that's I mean we've we've discussed that quite a few times about the, the ways certain finishers are heavily protected and others others not Rainmaker um, <laughs> but but that's that's something else that we'll come on to at a later point. But like discussing sort of going back to like Sanada's win over Evil to set up the final and Sanada for the first time ever scoring more than eight points because that's all he's ever scored in the G1 everyone before it eight points every time. Mr. Mm-hmm. Eight point average. But yeah, making I believe, it to I believe this was twelve points he earned by beating Evil. It was twelve point tiebreaker on three ways, and he had the tiebreakers over Evil and Naito to set us up for the longest G1 final yet at 35 minutes and 12 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also they'd been hyping up the idea of uh, Bushi going back-to-back uh, throughout the tournament. Uh, this was also his third straight final because he, he lost in the final to Tanahashi in 2018. And they, they mentioned Tenzon being the last person to uh, win twice like back-to-back. And also they made a special appearance from Masahiro Chono one of the first ever G1 and he's won five of them and he's also the only other person to win back-to-back years so it was kind of that nice touch just kind of like, like well Koibushi could be the third ever two-time winner with uh, the first ever two-time winner sitting at ringside Yeah that was like when you think of the history behind that this is the 30th edition of the tournament he's only the third person to do that I mean based on based on the fact that he came out of that with a big win what do you think this is going to be Ibushi's time? Do you think he's finally going to get to the top of the mountain when it hits Wrestle Kingdom? Well, like I alluded to earlier, I really thought it was going to be Sanada's uh, year once, like it was came down to him and Ibushi, because like a Ibushi sorry, a J White Sanada final could have went either way. Whereas the Sanada Ibushi final, I thought it was going to be Sanada's year. I'm uh, not that I'm not to say that I'm disappointed that Bushi won because like I was kind of like shocked when he didn't win the title from uh, Okada the double gold dash. The thing is, I don't think it can be his year because Naito like he's got a title defense coming at Power Struggle, which I'm sure he's gonna win because there's more history in him versus Bushi at the Tokyo Dome. Like we remember, like in 2019, the uh, the wars they went to over the uh, the Intercontinental title dropping on themselves on their head as many different ways they could. I think if Nigel goes into the Wrestle Kingdom and loses the belt to Ibushi, uh, uh, that means he's got two underwhelming kind of reigns uh, with the the double gold under his belt, because like this would probably be just for as long as his last reign, and even though his last reign was marred by like the pandemic, other than like a couple of good, like a good performance in the G1 and a, another match against Bloody Evil, like across both reigns, you got to think what would Naito have accomplished other than just having that moment at Wrestle Kingdom 14. Yeah, definitely. I think you I think you've got a good point there. Um, yeah, it's 
I mean, it's definitely looking like they're setting the bush up for something big in the long run, and he did sign that contract for the rest of his days. But yeah, um, <laughs> can we? And Ibushi's it, it, even made it clear in his interviews after this, uh, the press conference, it has to be Naito for him. He has to be facing Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. He's he's set that you set that target. The two of them are just drawn to each other, mm-hmm. and I mean, the final itself. I thought it was an absolutely fantastic match. Uh, I know mixed mixed reviews for some people. They felt it didn't quite live up to previous finals, but for me, I was I was I was ecstatic with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like when the fifteen minute call thing came up. I was like, really? Because like this match did not feel as long as you mentioned. It's like saying that it's the longest G one final history. Like that could for some people make it seem like oh, it'd probably be a slog to sit through. It wasn't. It flew by. You didn't even notice kind of how long it was because like when you think about it you expect this to go long over the 30 minute limit because like it's a 30 minute time limit for every other G1 match except this one and uh, and so you expect this to go a bit longer when there's like kind of no time limit uh, but they didn't go that much further over the 30 minutes and also Sonada I got him in the kind of the the, uh, the role that he often uses to kind of get the win over some of his opponents the closest to it I think I've ever seen in my life. Even the timekeeper was up and was so close to ringing the bell because he was entirely sure before Reggie was quickly assured him, like, no, two, two, like, the entire building all <laughs> thought it was two. And just, like, that would have been a, such a great finish if Sonata was going to win. But then when Ibushi kicked out, like, I don't think you can get any closer than that. My one t- criticism would be kind of, yeah, the big shock of Sonata kicking out the Kamigoi, which no one really does. I didn't like that they just immediately went back to Ibushi hitting it again. While well, it makes sense in case of like if you kick out, then hit it again. I would have, really would have wished they would have done something more uh, after that to then lead up to the second Kamigoi. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like that that that, that O'Connor role. I honestly thought he had that. I was jumping out out my seat, shouting, "Yes, he's done it!" And then the, the, some, someone actually gifted it and proved it was two point nine eight, and he actually his hand touches the mat. Bang on the two second. I was like, that. That is unreal. I've never had such a pop for a near fall in my life. Uh huh. It's just it's unbelievable. Like, and also Sonata, like going for the the moonsault. He's been winning a lot of his matches by pinfall with the kind of moonsault uh, instead of like using skull end for the submission victory. And he kept going for it in this match, which again caused kind of his downfall when you really think about it in the end. Yeah, I mean that's like there's no there's no denying that I'm a big Sanada mark, but my two biggest issues with him are really that it's these two finishing moves. The uh, the skull end kind of looks cool until the camera angle really shows you that he's really gripping them by the forehead, which doesn't look as devastating as a normal dragon sleeper, and that really bugs me. Um, and the moonsault, it looks beautiful, but it, quite often it takes like two or three of them it feels like the high fly flown way is like you know it, it has, he's got to hit it like two or three times just to get the win mm-hmm. he's, well, got, he's got the physique uh, what, what, um, what's interesting to me is that on Energy Fans website because like Ibushi does have one uh, defence of that briefcase at Power Stroke coming up uh, as are the rules of the, the G1 tournament but it says uh, in the match advertised for Power Stroke uh, the IWGP Heavyweight slash Intercontinental Championship opportunity. So this means that Ibushi has an opportunity at both of Naito's belts, which is strange to me because when they announced uh, that uh, WrestleMania will once again be over two nights, I would have thought that meant that Naito was going to defend the IC belt against someone on night one and then Ibushi on night two. 
because Naito's been very outspoken about wanting to defend both belts separately on uh, the same tour. Yeah, I mean, when we're coming up to the fact that that will be a year of the double gold, and I'll be honest, I mean, we've, we've, how many times have we said this, that they've booked themselves into a corner, how do you separate the belts? And the longer it goes on, the harder it becomes to separate those belts in a clean way where you don't devalue one over the other. Because, uh-huh, like, I didn't think they'd do a double uh, two nights again. Maybe they're doing it to kind of reduce, like, the number of matches on either card, given, like, the COVID restrictions, because that's what they kind of did for this tournament, where they only had A-block matches on one night and B-block matches, and there no preview tags on either night, and with the exception of the, the final, which had some tag matches at Celtfields to come out of the G1. But, like, surely, like, I only thought they'd, they all thought the only reason they did a two nights because they wanted to do the double gold dash and that makes sense and they wouldn't do it again. But then when they said that Naito is going to defend both belts against the Bushi, you think, well, sure, that's going to be an event night two. So what that gives the question, what do you do for night one? And I think I have an idea of what they might put as the main event in night one, but I don't think one of the participants in that match should be in such a high-profile main event right now. Right, well, and what do you think that's going to be? What do you think... I think that they're maybe setting up for Okada versus Osprey at Risk Kingdom, given Okada's stature in the company, and looking at other, like, who else is available. I think that may be put in the main event spot, unless they go bold and maybe put, like, say, like, the one of the best of Super Juniors against, gets their shot in the, the main event of Night One, because, like, again, that's the thing with the IC belt being so, basically, so close in stature to the heavyweight belt, the way they booked it. Usually you think it'd be the IC belt, the main event night two, one and heavyweight night two, but now they're together and we don't have like the US champion right now. So the only other thing I can see is an Osprey Okada match, given what happened and their A block final match. And that is a perfect time to lead on to talking about those matches in the G1 that led to our power struggle setup. The the big shocker, um, the last show I kind of mentioned that I'd heard rumours, but whether they were true or not about Osprey turning heel but the rumours were saying the Bullet Club. No, not Bullet Club. The Empire, his own new stable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was, I'll be honest, that was, to me, one of the biggest shocks of the whole tournament that I did not see coming. Yeah, because uh, Osprey versus Zokai was going to be a very interesting matchup, especially given it was being saved for the final night of A-Block, and uh, both men finished on 12 points after Osprey's kind of victory. But uh, again, Abushi had beaten both men, so after Jay White's loss, Abushi went straight through the final uh, on 14 points. I think Abushi had uh, that most out of anybody in the whole tournament. Then uh, in this match, you had B. Priestley coming. You could see the crowd reaction, like, oh, who's coming out? And then out comes B. Priestley as Osprey's in like, the money clip, which they really put over for a lot of the tournament as well. And like you thought, oh, she's going to try and throw in the till or something like that. But no, like she distracts the ref, allowing uh, Great O'Khan who I remember seeing debuts, new character, I think at the uh, the two British shows they did in like 2018, the Strong Style Evolved or something like that. And I remember kind of first seeing it thinking like, I thought it was a bit shit. But also that was like two years ago, so he's had something to develop while being on excursion in the UK. But then he comes out with this big tape glove and a tactical card and you think like, what in the actual hell is going on? Because like seeing B getting involved in uh, Osprey's match, because like she is like a champion and star at the minute. And it kind of makes sense to have her involved because I know women don't you don't see a lot of women in New Japan, but like Stardom and New Japan are now owned by the same parent company. So having 
that, and plus the fact everybody knows that these two are a couple in real life, this alliance kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, o- Oka, um, Okan coming out, I was like, I was like, what? I mean, he did he did finish in the UK completely undefeated in his entire run at Rev Pro, um, a character which many absolutely ripped into and didn't really rate him highly, but I found it interesting enough. Um, he's it's definitely a weird choice. Um, rumours put out there were apparently that Cobb was actually originally in line for that, but they gave it to Oka instead. But I mean, Osprey starting this new stable, it's only got him, Okan, and B at the moment, but B obviously not wrestling in New Japan because they don't have a women's division. So it'll be interesting to see, is he going to get more people recruited by the time we're all to Wrestle Kingdom? Um, but that the way that he done the betrayal, the... Um, like getting the, the Stormbreaker and the absolute vicious hidden blade screaming, fuck you, you hold me back. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah, because like, while Osprey undoubtedly is, is a good wrestler and he's had some great matches in the uh, tournament, like him versus Ibushi, where Ibushi countered the, the Oscar with a leaping knee to the back of the head. And the fact that he was one of the few people to beat uh, Jay White as, well, as well was surprising. And he also got a win over a buddy, Minoru Suzuki. But, like, him and B are the subject of a lot of controversy at the moment. And now that they're being put in a, a high-profile position by New Japan, I think to some us here, kind of westernized, might seem a bit kind of tone-deaf on New Japan's part. But, I'm, like, I'm trying to look at this purely as a storyline and not think about what's what's happening outside. I think it was a matter of time before Osby broke out on his own. Like, he's been acting very heelish throughout the tournament and I'm wondering like I mentioned before I don't think he and Ogata if they have a magic risk game I don't think it should be a main event uh, but I'm, I'm wondering do you think that if they had the match at Resident between these two that they make it just a special singles match or do you think Osprey puts his Rev Pro belt on the line I think he would have to put the Rev Pro belt on the line but then my, my big worry there is if, if they were to have Okada go over who in Rev Pro is big enough to go over Okada? And if Osprey beats Okada and retains the belt, you know, like Rev Pro has been put into a really difficult position there. It's been great to get their belt showcased, but mm-hmm. who do we build? Who do we build up in the UK that's still, you know, able to wrestle and you know go in at, at that caliber? It's uh, they're they're, put, they're they're in danger of booking themselves into a really difficult position. Mm-hmm. Um. It's it's definitely it's definitely a match that's going to be that's going to be one to watch because Okada and Osprey have now had about four or five matches and they've never really disappointed in the ring. But even as you're saying, the whole kind of tone deafness and that, you know, how long can New Japan keep pushing that while Twitter and every other part of social media does really come into an uproar about this decision? It's a very difficult difficult position. Mm-hmm. I think maybe if they, if anybody in New Japan does know about it, maybe the fact that they are picking now the heel, maybe it's because they know people are like aren't as behind Osprey and we're considering like the real life kind of situation. Uh, but then again, I'm not sure just how how aware New Japan are of the situation. I could see some shades of like the Jay White feud from a couple of years ago, where Osprey beats Okada at the Tokyo Dome, but Okada comes back later on to beat. Him like how G White beat him at Wrestle Kingdom 13, then Okada beat him in Madison Square Garden for the title later on. So like, I think, especially if they are keen on pushing this new heel faction, because we're so used to 
Suzuki and Chaos Bullet Club LIJ. This is a brand new faction, and I think if they do want uh, this faction to get over, then they probably will have Osprey win at Wrestle Kingdom. And I think what's going to be interesting is uh, Okan versus uh, Great Okan versus Okada, which has been booked in a special singles match for Power Struggle. And you got to wonder, like, this is his first official singles match back from Excursion. Does he lose to Okada? Or if he wins, it definitely won't be by clean means. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not going to be a clean win, that. There's there's definitely no way that that... Because they're clearly shown that this is another heel faction, which, to me, with the balance of factions between heel and face, it means that one of the other factions... Um, I, I would probably say that it's going to end up being the LIJ, who have been kind of tweeners. You know, they can be heel, they can be face. I think they're going to more solidify themselves as a face faction, and that will kind of balance things out. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah... I, I have to admit, like, the, the, the heel turn has been effective in regards to the fact that when Okada went for Osprey in that tag match on the mm-hmm. finals night, the fact that he didn't even take his like jacket and everything off, he just went for Osprey. I was like, oh my god, I'm actually behind this because he, like, <laughs> he just went for him. It was beautiful. Yeah, like, because like, Kevin Kelly like, even bites up how, like, how much Okada wanted to get his hands on Osprey. Like, even said, like, I don't think Okada was as upset when Kiro betrayed him. It goes to show how like how heartbroken like Okada was about Osprey betraying him, and like people like home tears like, well, how did how did Okada hold him? Like he personally brought Osprey into chaos and everything like that, and like Okada was always trying to help Osprey and all that, and they're basically picking up like how much of a bastard Osprey is for turning his back on him. Yeah, I mean that was I mean the other thing like that I'm when we're talking about how could Okada get the win in that, and I think. We've picked up the money clip all tournament. We've never seen him pull out the Rainmaker. Um, mm. So is it is it going to be a case of that Okada will maybe have a loss, maybe two losses to Osprey over the over the coming months? And um, we know that they're meant to do Madison Square Garden when possible again. Do they eventually hold the hold the trigger for that, and then the Rainmaker comes back, and that's how he gets his one up against Osprey again by bringing back the move that he partially retired for a while. Yeah, because he'd be doing like short arm remaker or like kind of a discus version, but he's never had the proper like full one where he does like the pose where they do like the big wide shot and then he does like goes for it. So I think it'll be a big moment. I think maybe, I think also you want to wait till the crowd are allowed to make noise again because you got to think even with the restrictions, like you said, like they managed to get the crowd to kind of make noise even when they weren't meant to. You got to think you don't want the crowd breaking the rules because that's going to get a big reaction when he hits the full on proper version of the remaker again. Aye, and I'll be honest, I mean, the money clip, if the crowd, if the crowd could make noise based on just even the way they go clapping that, as soon as he puts the money clip in, that crowd dies. Like, they are just like, come on, man. Come on, give us what we want. We don't want the money clip. It's pish. <laughs> I think the issue with the Rainmaker as well, the reason he went away from it is probably because, like, that much like, well, as we've seen over the tournament, like, like the cliques of uh, Skull End or, like, the Kamigoi, it seems like everybody has a counter for it. And like the amount of different ways we've seen people counter the rainmaker, I think in that sense you can see why Okada went away from it for a while. And plus, we have kind of some people have kind of at the idea of like looking at the idea of a short arm clothesline as a finisher, and like today's rest, especially given that Okada also does like, the leap in tombstone. And plus, especially when it's like forty odd minutes into a match, which you know Okada does like going the distance. When he often hits the final rainmaker, it doesn't often look like there's a lot of energy behind it, so it kind of can make a finish to a match look weak. You can see why he probably put that move on ice for a while, but 
I think it will make people appreciate it more when he brings it back. Oh, definitely. They're like the first Rainmaker that we see. I know that it's going. It's probably going to make me pop, and I'm not the biggest fan of that move. But I think seeing the pose again and that is probably going to really light a, light a fire and things. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a, it's it's going to be a few whether people like it or not. And I think you know people are quite vocal on Twitter and everything about how they feel. It's it's a feud no matter how much the people it's it's there for a while. We're going to have to get used to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Speaking of, we've talked about one of those big matches for Power Struggle already. Um, talking about another one, which is set to be this will be the third time these two have faced each other this year, and I personally cannot wait for it. Shingo and Suzuki for that mm-hmm. open weight belt. My God, I can't wait. Yeah, because like this was again a match, a rematch I wanted to see when there was an that they were in the same block and they saved it for the A block final. And like I don't think either man had the like the G one like journey they wanted to. I think eight points uh, Shingo finished on and six for Suzuki because uh, I think a lot of people wanted to see Suzuki properly batter Osprey, myself included, and was a bit disappointed when uh, uh, Osprey managed to sneak out the victory. But uh, Shingo, on the other hand, like he lost his first couple of matches to like Jeff Cobb and Jay White, but then managed to get his first win over Osprey and kind of a fight a, a rematch from their Super Juniors final. And then obviously you I think with Pertro come up that Shingo had to kinda of get the win to set up some sort of a rematch for the title, which is what happened. And of it said their previous encounters, it should be a definitely a good one to watch. What I'm interested in is I think Suzuki's definitely gonna retain at Power Struggle, but who does he defend the title against uh at Wrestle Kingdom? And I think a good candidate could be Jeff Cobb. Yes, definitely. I can see that being a um as much as I love the idea of Shingo because I feel that they they done the damage by taking the belt off Shingo when they did. I felt mm-hmm. he should have had it a bit longer because he was he was a fantastic fighting and defending champion um, with that belt. But don't get me wrong, Summer Struggle, him and Suzuki was a fantastic match. And Suzuki just being as terrifying as usual. I mean, I don't know if you saw the picture, but the bit from the backstage comments and Suzuki realised it's like, wait, I'm mathematically eliminated. What mm-hmm. if everyone gets food poisoning? Flip. Beg your pardon, what are you suggesting? <laughs> yeah, because like, you talked about Okada like, not using Rainmaker. Like, a couple of Okada's wins came with uh, kind of like a similar to the, like, the Bret Hart David Boy, fin- David Boy Smith finish from SummerSlam 82, kind of the sit out roll up. And you remember when he Okada beat Suzuki that way, Suzuki pretty much nearly toured the barric- whole barricade area apart and everything. He was going mental. And like, because like, the other person who really beat Suzuki that you think would be in line for a title shot potentially is uh, his stablemate Taichi who got a surprise win over him but I think given World Tag League's coming up, uh, Taichi's got his eyes on other things but like I thought if that was going to lead to tension within Suzuki that would have been an interesting night to keep an eye on. Oh god, that, that Taichi-Suzuki match that was incredible and yet the, like, the look on Taichi's face at the end of it, I was like is this going to be a is he kind of hinting that it's going to become Taichi-gun? Is it? Is there going to be a? Is the king going to get dethroned? Because mm-hmm, like they threw a lot each other in that match, and it looked like he just barely managed to keep down for those three seconds after he hit kind of the black Mephisto. Because again, like how in the same way that people like uh, Sonata had a kind of a bad run at the start before getting started getting wins, Taichi in the A block was surprising people that by how well he was doing. Like Jeff Cobb and Suzuki picking up his first two wins, like. Those are not two people I would expect him just to, I mean, like him to beat, but he managed to find a way. 
yeah, I mean, if you'd said to me like a couple of years back, Taichi's going to be one of the people that you're talking big talk about in a G1, I would have been like, really? Taichi? Nah, yeah. can't it be? Because like, he had his match with Okada, and I think like that match was much better than the match they had in Buddy Sapporo earlier this year. So like those first couple of wins really served to like actually make you sit up and pay attention to his, his later matches, especially his match with J.Y., which just seemed to be like, who can out shenanigan the other? Oh God, yeah. I mean, like that. Jay and Taichi, That was that. That was actually gold. That I was not expecting. Like the way like Jay was sitting there on his chair before the match. Taichi's serenading him, and he just looks so happy. <laughs> yeah, because like, I remember he picks up the microphone as well, and Taichi says, "They like, come on, Taichi, sing for me." And like the arguments amongst like between Chris Charlton and. Uh, and uh, Rocky Romero, like, Rocky's like, Chris, it's not even plugged in. What do you mean? It's a cordless microphone. It's Bluetooth. That's, like, no, that's where the mic should be plugged in. It's not plugged in. <laughs> oh, absolute, absolute gold. I mean, that's yeah, that's one of the big differences between me and you watching it this year as well. You you were watching the English commentary and I was pretty much uh, the Japanese commentary. So it's, it's always nice to hear what kind of little stories I've missed from uh, the likes of Rocky and Chris and, and Ke- yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, it was mainly Kevin and Rocky for the majority of the tournament, except with a couple of days where here and there where it was just Kevin Kelly doing it himself. But uh, for the final three days, they had live English commentary, which allowed them to bring back uh, Chris Charlton, which is always good because, you know, uh, Chris speaks fluent Japanese and he's always able to translate the uh, the promos and also especially backstage comments from both Block winners and then Nibishi's speech at the end. It was good to get the translation uh, from Chris it's also he also has a good dynamic with uh, with Kevin and Rocky, so it's always nice to have Chris back. And I just can't wait. When are they going to get bring Gino back here? You know? Oh god, I'm I'm missing Gino. He was always entertaining. Gino. <laughs> poor, poor Gino. But speaking of Taichi, um, talking about all these um, a match that's going to be slightly before Power Struggle, but still big for Taichi. We've got a six man ch- tag championship match set for this Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at the time that we're recording this, the match is still to happen. So by the time he's by the time we get this out, it'll have happened. So we don't know what's going to happen, but it's uh, it's going to be a six man tag with um, Doki and Dangerous Takers against Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Goto. And it's not a match that I was expecting to be announced or to happen, but I ain't mad. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's interesting because it's nice in these small kind of road two shows. This is where like the six man tag belts get some proper like prominence on the show. And so, and it's also interesting. Like dangerous checkers looking to add more gold, and Taxi were doing in particular looking to add another accolade at Power Struggle, which we'll talk about in a wee bit. It'd be kind of interesting if Zach was able to walk around with two belts and potentially uh, the KOPW twenty twenty provisional trophy. That's a bloody mouthful. <laughs> but, you know, Suzuki, they just they want it all. They want all the gold. But quickly, also talking about Suzuki and uh, uh, talking about. Jeff Cobb potentially facing Suzuki. Do you think? I'm trying to think. Jeff Cobb probably at some point will join one of the factions at some point. I'm trying to think who. I know you said there was a plan for him to join Osprey's one. I think he could end up joining Chaos at some point if uh, the plans have changed for him to join Osprey's group. Yeah, I, I think that could actually be a good shout. I think um, there's definitely room. Chaos is a big faction. And to me, there's room, there's room for a couple of different options. One would be that Cobb comes in. And they maybe shed a couple of the other heavyweights. Um, really, there's so much like because 
even if you look at their six-man tag champs right now, I, I really think that the purpose of this six-man tag championship match on Friday, I think it's it's going to be a retention for them. I think it's really to set up that Yoshihashi's probably going to try and look a little bit better because they've been trying to big him up that he's looking for more gold. But I also think they're going to use it as a chance to set up Ishii and Goto as credible challengers for the tag belts going into World Tag League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, the commentary has theorised like it was Yoshihashi and Ishii last year, but then I think at some point they mentioned like, what do you think a heavyweight team of uh, Ishii and Goto what their chances could be like in World Tag League. And they'd definitely be like an outside bet. They could like win the whole thing. And maybe if this is how they're going to set up, then it'd be a smart way to do it. What I kind of felt bad for is like, again, as Yoshi actually had a really, a better performance in the G1, despite only winning two matches, he looked strong. Like, especially against like Evil and then especially Naito, he got some really good licks in. But what I thought was quite sad is every show he came out with his six-band belt, and on various nights, sometimes Goto and Ishii would forget to come out with their belt. Sometimes they did bring it out. Like, I just kind of screamed, like, yeah, we, we can't, we're probably capable of more. But Yoshihashi, you know, he's, this is probably how, as high as he's going to go. So he's, he's, he's always showed off, like, look, I've got a belt. I know, and, you know, you'd think people would pay attention to the belt. But if you watch him in Kenta, Kenta was more of paying attention to that staff than he was the damn belt. <laughs> like, find oh. yourself someone that looks at you. The way that Kenta looks at Yoshihashi's staff. I never thought I'd say that in my life, but there we go. <laughs> what, what is the staff even for? It's like, like Brian Myers with his cane. Like, I never understood what he, what the point of it is. Like, Yoshi, like, like he's got, he's a maybe a pimp, so his thing kind of makes sense. Like, I've never understood what Yoshihashi's thing's all about. I know, he's both staff. He just kind of, kind of comes out and looks really awkward. I'm like, you really don't know what you're doing with this, do you, pal? Just like, just, just drop it. Just drop it. You know, have a little bit of a, re- a rebrand. Uh, but, I mean, that, that six men, like Ishii and Goto, we know are a viable team because going all the way back to the start of the year, New Year's Dash, and my favourite match from that card was Ishii and Goto feeds Shingo and Evil. And my mm. God, that was a big, meaty beef slammer of a match. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a solid match and it led on to some like, singles matches for New Beginning. Uh, because like Goto has had some success in that tournament before, you know, he's won it with Carl Anderson and Shibata, but him and Ishii too, like heavyweights, two guys who are always in the, in the G1, like even though they rarely ever get to win the big one, they always manage to pull out wins against main event opponents. So I think to put them together would be a strong like tag team. Because like you're gonna probably have like your GODs, Finjus, they have been confirmed to be coming back for the uh, World Tag League, but then. And again, like I said, you want maybe an outside bet because obviously a big factor about this year's World Tag League is uh, Evil and Sanada, who have been the favourites for the last three or so years. And when it comes to World Tag League, are no more. You know, we talked about the possibility of a Shingo Sanada team, but like, you know, we need a new kind of outside bet for this year's tournament. Yeah, and I mean, some of the some of the shakeups are definitely going to make it an interest in World Tag League. And going on to like our different participants that we don't know for World Tag League, but someone who we know is going to be in it. And you mentioned it already, the very special singles match. And it's one match that I cannot bloody wait for. Yano v ZSJ. <laughs> My God, that is going to be entertaining because Yano was so pissed off at ZSJ after their tag match. <laughs> like, calling him a bastard and everything. Brilliant. Oh, like... 
Cristiano's matches during the G1, we should just talk about here, like some of the most entertaining to watch. Like Naito, we'll talk about him a bit later on, but his matches like combined went like over three and a half hours because he kept like working his deliberate play- pace and like most of his matches went down to like the wire. They were very close to the 30 minute time limit to the point where at least I thought a couple of his matches were going to go to draws, which could be a way of like not wanting to protect both people. But like Yano was like a combined what fifty four minutes I heard I think from Kevin Kelly. And this was before his final match with Yoshiashi, which didn't go that long, so maybe just under an hour. But some of the ways he would win matches, like it was always by counter seemingly or just getting people a surprise roll up. But also he had the tables perfectly turned around on him when uh, Goto managed to beat him in just eighteen seconds. Oh god, that, that like the fact that that match could fit into a single gif was absolutely incredible. I just sent my pal, I was like, well, check this out, and he's like, wait, is that the whole bloody match? I was like, yes! How incredible! <laughs> yeah, legit. Yeah, I know, like, no surprise is a part of the shortest match in G1 history, but it's Kevin Kelly could bring it up. The big surprise, although, is, oh, that is not that it was so short, but the fact it wasn't Yano who won it. I know, that beautiful. It was seen, I've seen Goto do that, like, pin a couple of times, and it absolutely bamboozles me watching it, but it's so cool. It just, it, it's It's great. Yeah, because like Goto was trying to end the match as quickly as possible because his shoulder was injured and his match with Kenta because Kenta was insistent on trying to tap uh, Goto out, but then he had to deal with that shoulder injury for the rest of the tournament, which is what hindered him for a lot of it. So he was also trying to get that match over as quickly as possible. He lost his ESG pretty quickly because ESG immediately targeted it. And like I remember, I thought Yoshiashi was actually going to beat Goto because he kept locking like the butterfly lock. But Goto was like stubborn and like not thinking about his shoulder. He's like, I don't want to lose to my fellow tag team partner. Like, and like, so it's been a great kind of bit of storytelling with Goto there. She's mentioned, but these two, especially, like, I remember it was like Saber Jr., he beat Evil, and then as they were both walking away, he yelled over, Hey, Evil, happy Halloween, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that Zach? I, I I'll never get bored of the stuff that he just shouts at people. Just he's he just knows how to like just be a cocky dick. He just has so much fun with it, and you know, like, like looking at like the Anno's matches. ZSG, I mean, he had some fantastic matches throughout the tournament. He really did. Um, him and Naito really stands out to me as mm-hmm. something incredible. But I mean, ZSG, he's he's really like sort of like. For a while, I felt like he was kind of like the head boy in Suzuki Gun, and it feels almost like he's kind of taking a back seat to Tai Chi, which is really weird. I never thought I'd see that. Yeah, um, I really thought, thought ZHA was going to take Naito to the full 30 minutes, which would have been like really impressive. And he hasn't thrown any tantrums like he's, uh, his poor campaign last year, but I did like his comments after he's lost to Sonada, where he's like, Oh, I lost to Naito. Fair enough, you know, he's the double champion, no shame in that. I'm not happy about what happened with Kenta, but I got knocked out, so can't do anything about that. But nice bit Sonada beating with a moonsault. Like, but Sonada, he beat him with a backflip. The he can even bastard. And yes, for that, a best of 437 seasons with Sonada. And I'll win, the all, I'll, I'll win every match with a tap out. Oh, like some of the things he was saying, in fact, his, his backstage comments after his match where he beat Yoshihashi, he didn't even slag him for a change. He's like, what the? There's bloody chops. I'm not mad. I'm impressed. Like you got this Yoshihashi really did chop the living shit out of him. <laughs> I think uh, like 
Lemmy's matches, Yano's matches, like the one with uh, the one with Just Robinson, where Just Robinson decided to turn the tables on and spray him in the face with his wee spray bottle like sanitizer. And like he decided when he's matched with his ESG, like, okay, clean wrestling match, I'll, I won't try any tricks. And the match went over 10 minutes, and when they announced to me the 10 minute call, uh, Kevin Kale was like, 10 minutes? Is this still a Yano match? <laughs> That was unreal. I was like, wait a minute, yeah, this is a Yano match going over ten minutes. This is this is unheard of. And like thinking of like he's I, I, I thought, you know, when Yano did go on a kind of string of like wins at the beginning before his losses, I'm like, all these people that he lost to, what sort of stipulation is he going to choose for his King of Pro Wrestling match when he finally defends the thing? And I'm I'm thinking, what is Yano going to do for special rules against ZSG? Uh, something I was gonna say before we, we get to that is that like, Rocky Morel kept going on about how his pick to win the whole thing was Yano. And Yano did have success early on, but then kept losing. And then Rocky Morel's thing is that he keeps saying that people keep copying him and that he charges the money for it. And Chris Charlton had a brilliant line on uh, one of the late final nights. He goes, well, you can use that money to pay off your gambling debt. You probably have after you lost all that money on Yano, on the bet you made on Yano to win the G1. <laughs> that was brilliant. In fact, he keeps using tape as well. He's tied people to the ropes or get them counted out. Yeah, he's matched with Kenta. Kenta hits him with the briefcase. The briefcase opens and all this tape spills out of it. Because, like, Kevin Kelly had been in play, like, what is Kenta loading that briefcase with to make it, like, make the shots more more impactful? He hits it and he's got all this bloody tape inside it. And he just uses it to tie Yano to the, kind of the entranceway and he just legs it back to the ring and just leaves Yano there, like, Pretty sure Yano's still tied there as Kenta walks by him to go to the back. Oh, I, was, I was in hysterics at that because I was like, oh my god, Yano has been out Yanoed by Kenta. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. Oh. Like oh, the announcement of the KOPW match kind of came out of nowhere to me. And like I mentioned to you, I don't know what either man will, will pick at the time recording, but I said to you, if I was Yano, I, I, if I was taking on Yano, I'd pick the stipulation of a automatic DQ if you try to untie the uh, the corner posts, the turnbuckle pads. Uh, and if, if Yano wants an easy match against ZSJ, ZSJ, no submissions. You take away ZSJ's submissions. It's not that he can't do other things, but let's face it, that's 99% of his offence and what he's most brutal with. So it's... I mean, wait, I'm, we, I'm really interested in it. I mean, they keep mentioning that Yano is a as a man with a wrestling background, like the way he's able to like, roll people up and now and get them down. Uh, so I like to think like maybe they try something more technical and like surprisingly we only know Yano like really like, he's comedy style matches but then show him like look he's actually bringing Saxe Ever Junior in the mat, he's actually wrestling him. And like you could put open people's eyes to a whole different Yano. I mean that's it, cause we've got to remember like Yano at one point in the past, like years ago, it like it took Tanahashi like the full thirty minutes in the match years ago. So mm-hmm. I mean people forget there is there is a dangerous side to Yano. We've not seen it in a while, but I get the feeling if Yano was to get serious and maybe maybe ZSJ's finally like pushed the buttons enough to, to piss them off and we might get a serious Yano and if that's the case, this match could completely subvert any any expectations that people have. Because mm-hmm. like it wouldn't really hurt ZSJ for Yano to retain as well, because like you can never count Yano out as we've mentioned a lot in the past. And plus, like Zach still got the one half of the tag belts, and he's got like World Tag League immediately after this, so it wouldn't exactly hurt him to take a loss. And also, like that's immediately a, a backstage like comment you want to tune in for. Mm-hmm. 
Oh god, yeah. Like, like depending on the stipulation, and I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating pure gold in the post-match comments. Um, I wonder if ZSJ is going to tie it back to Boris Johnson again because that will just make it for me. Because uh, basically, like Zach is not somebody you'd expect to be wrestling for this trophy, so you know his whatever stipulation he picks will be on a whole different like side of the spectrum from whatever Yano chooses. <laughs> Exactly. That's it. It's a. It's going to be a. It's going to be a really interesting one. Um, yeah, as you said, it, out of everything that's going on that power struggle card, it stands out to me as being the kind of most random mm-hmm. one that's been thrown in. But I think it's important that yeah, the King of Pro Wrestling Championship needs to be defended at some point. Uh, how ZSJ is going to treat it if he did win? I don't know because I mean he, he threw the bloody thing to the ground. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, wait, there's there's only so many ways that can go. Um, speaking of like those power struggle matches, uh, Yano vs ZSJ. Obviously, we all we are we are all Yano fans here. Yano is the <laughs> gift that keeps on giving. You know, you, it's, we love our I love my thirty minute, forty minute big epic matches, but you sometimes you just can't beat a five minute Yano sprint. Um, but speaking of a man that that sort of beat him, uh, we're talking about Kenta. Kenta's US Championship um, opportunity briefcase going up, and me and you discussed this a little bit in private. We were we thought it was going to be Juice that was going to get first dibs at it, but it's not. Mm-hmm. It's Tanahashi. Yeah, because like uh, Kenta had kind of an up and up and down kind of run in the G One. Like he beat uh, he beat Naito in the final. His first couple matches again, like Zack Saber Junior. and uh, Go Oi won. He did lose to Evil. He lost to Juice Robinson, who then immediately was like, "I want a shot at this," and then lost like to, to Tanahashi. And they, I think maybe it's because like there's a big crack now in his briefcase, and it was because of Tanahashi way he hit him over the head, where they keep like pointing to it, like when they had a tag match on the fire, get pointing at like, saying Tanahashi, like, "Look, I was your head that done that." And like I think they're just trying to like keep in a high profile position uh, by defending the briefcase as often as possible. Uh, until he can get John Moxley back, but again, like, like especially given that uh, Juice Robinson probably won't be able to challenge after Power Struggle because again he'll be in World Tag League. I don't see why they couldn't have done him versus Juice here and then done kind of Tanahashi like down the line. If like John Moxley can't make Wrestle Kingdom, give Tanahashi and Kenta the match at, at Wrestle Kingdom because that sounds like a worthy match for that show. Oh yeah, that would be that's like high profile money match written all over it. And yeah, I mean like you're you're pointing out like when Tanahashi like when Kenta cracked him with the briefcase and actually cracked it open, I was like, Jesus Christ, how much force was in that shot? You done this. I want a new briefcase. Your bloody head done this. You know? Tanahashi's like, I'm not gonna give him a new briefcase. I'll take it off his hands. Not a bother. So, I mean their match was brilliant. Like yeah, Tanahashi shown again. You cannot count him out when it comes to the big matches. He had a very impressive run while not being successful. None of his matches disappointed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that briefcase was meant to track the way that that was not a gimmick to briefcase. Like Kent uh, manages to turn it into a gimmick by like putting the tape next to it, pointing out this is what Tanahashi did to my briefcase. And again, like Tanahashi, main event of the first night of B Block, him against. Uh, Naito goes around 26 minutes again, very, very close to the time limit. And just, like, again, he's also, like, Kevin Kelly's been saying, like, 
people forget people almost people seem to almost forget that already that Ten won this just two years ago, so he's not down yet. Even though he suffered injury, he's still uh, a credible threat. And also, like he said, like his legs have been targeted a lot in the last couple months. And then he was him that was targeting people's legs, and he was trying to use like the Texas clover leaf a lot more. Again, much like Okari's uh, changing his offense up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like that change of offense, I thought was nice and refreshing for Tanahashi. And I mean, the, the shot they got with the briefcase, there's only one shot with a briefcase that I can remember in, in recent history that to me was more brutal. And that was last year when Ibushi finally went for Okada with a briefcase, and that scared the bejesus oh. at me. Like, yeah. out of nowhere from behind, you're getting volleyed with this, pal. What? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the briefcase, the G1 briefcase, is a lot thinner. That's why this is a more. More like a brick, this this big red lunchbox, as I keep calling it. Whereas a bushy, like you'd hear kind of the thud as he smacked Okada over the back of the head with it. Well, it was absolutely unreal. And I mean, looking at this sort of like the way that that all went down with um, Tana and Kenta. Kenta's run as well, we talked about, we're talking there, Tana changing his offense a bit. I mean, Kenta, yeah, uh, he's got to go to sleep, but I like the fact that he's brought back the, uh, the game over submission. That is. Mm-hmm. That was a very clever way for him to get some of his wins. And like Kenta, when he first came back to New Japan, had a bit of a, to me, a bit of a middling start. Like he wasn't quite, well, not returned to New Japan. He's, he's, when he appeared in New Japan, it was kind of a, a middling start. But as times went on, he's just got better and better. And probably the most weird post match promos that I've ever seen. There's <laughs> a fear. His affair with the um, the camera person in the backstage, and then when it's not the same one that he always gets, <laughs> and then caught in the act on the last night by both of them at the same time. I do think this is a, like because like so far as we've been talking about it, power struggle, uh, and it sells. We've like it's the last big show like before Wrestle Kingdom, before we also have World Tag League and everything like that. It always promises to be a big show. Like we talked, one of our first episodes of this show was talking about last year's Perfect We talked about like the return of Hiromu and all those other things. Like it also, it's always like a big show. Like sometimes you get challenge people challenging each other in matches at uh, at Wrestle Kingdom. As we've been going by, like I, the more we talk about this card, the more I can't wait for it. I know, and I mean, from we've had one briefcase being defended, but let's not forget the other briefcase is being defended. When we get Jay White vs Ibushi again for mm-hmm. that double gold opportunity, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, was Jay White the only person to beat Ibushi uh, in this tournament, or, or did he lose to somebody else during this tournament? Because he got like um, fourteen points, so out of, a 18, out of a possible eighteen, so he did. He did have another loss, and I'm just trying to remember. Uh, Looking through to see who it was that he lost to, um, because it was, if I remember, it wasn't the most surprising, but ah, yes, now I remember it was Shingo ah. that defeated Ibushi well, on night 11 of the A block, yeah. Because that's something I, you know, I forgot to mention that match. Like, we mentioned Shingo earlier on, like, Shingo had like, a decent run, but he properly battered Ibushi. During that match, and even when he won, I was still shocked. But like, I think like, it makes sense that I knew whoever won the G1 probably would only lose one or two matches because, unlike previous years, they don't have as much time between 
the end of the G1 and Wrestle Kingdom. So you can really only do really one big defense of the briefcase. And obviously, if you're going to do one, it be Jay White versus Ibushi. Yeah, Jay White, Ibushi avenging the loss and Jay White feeling like he was screwed out of that final. But now I'm kind of disappointed that Shingo isn't getting his shot. But like, this now makes me think if uh, Ibushi does come out with the goal, here's me, fingers crossed, come on, give Shingo the first shot. Because I definitely think in the next two to three years, Shingo will win the G1. It wasn't his year this year, but in the next couple of years it will be, trust me. Yeah, I mean, Shingo's run um, starting as a completely unstoppable junior um, before moving from unstoppable junior into the, the heavyweight division. Um, thankfully, they didn't do like the, the cheap thing of like making him move into the heavyweight division and just run roughshod there. He had to kind of earn his place a little bit. And he's more than he's more than earned it in the last year by being, to me, one of the MVPs of New Japan for 2020, carrying that oh, yeah. belt to some relevance again. So I mean, yeah, I'm I'm like I'm with you. I, I'm gutted that he's not getting a shot at the title opportunity. But to me, if they were to try and separate the belts up, I think Ibushi, um, sorry, Shingo would make a fantastic Intercontinental Champion. Mm-hmm. Like I think, I think it would be a good like special thing on match risk. And if you had Jay White get this shot, lose again, complain that he's been screwed. You have Shingo kind of around saying like, "Hey, I beat Ibushi too," and then you kind of have like again a, a kind of an unofficial non-one contenders match to see who gets the winner of Naito versus Ibushi by having Shingo versus Jay at Wrestle Kingdom because like I know it's two nights. I keep thinking about certain people like, "What's this person going to do?" What's this person going to do? Because like, that was part of the reason I was disappointed about Sonada losing. Because I said to you, like, so what the hell does Sonada do uh, at Wrestle Kingdom? Yeah, and that, and that to me is one of, my, one of the biggest travesties of the Power Struggle card is where is my boy? Where is Sonada? Like, he had, he made it to the final and still wasn't in, in, like, in the Power Struggle card. So on the flip side, it means that he's got World Tag League um, and maybe there may be a few Road 2 shows on the lead-up. They're definitely going to have a place for him on the card at Wrestle Kingdom. I'm just trying to figure out where it's going to be when I'm trying everything in my head. I'm like, where, where is he going to be? This is really weird. Because, mm-hmm. like, uh, G- versus, like, Naito, I think given everything that happened with Evil, they don't want to have another former faction member fighting, uh, fighting Naito or another faction member fighting Naito. And then you've got... And then uh, Jay White, obviously, given that Naito beat him for the IC belt on his way to holding both belts, I thought that would be a good kind of come around. But then I think it makes it, yeah, it makes sense that why Ibushi won. You know, he went all for two in the double gold dash, and he's like he's had this long road maybe for redemption. But again, I still think Naito's going to come out with the uh, with the double gold. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you, like talking about like sort of where that final match, Naito v Evil, it's. Evil's relentless, I'll give him that. Like he's never at any point given Naito a moment's breathing space. It's like, oh yeah, you might have got the belts back off me, but guess what? I'm not gone, bitch. I'm break. Yeah, because like I said, Naito only lost to three people. Uh, Sonada's nowhere to be seen. Evil, uh, sorry, Kenta is occupied with Tanahashi. So you know, we get another match with Evil at kind of at Power Struggle to kind of hopefully wrap this whole thing up between these two and. Like also, GY, the issues between him and Evil, like he said to Evil, like what you did with Kenta, kind of like mocking him and that, like that will not stand. Remember, you wouldn't have had those two belts 
if it wasn't for Bullet Club. And then he kind of, kind of, kind of almost buried uh, Hiromu, saying your one and only successful title defense was against a little bitty junior, and then you lost him back to Naito. Oh, that was that was that was vicious. And I mean, even like the way Evil was trying to like poison the idea of Yujiro, who we've not really mentioned enough of Yujiro, I'd say here because Yujiro. I've never been so much behind the man to get one damn win an entire tournament as oh. I was Yujiro. Yeah, was it was it Jeff Cobb on the final night he managed to beat to get his one and only win? Yeah, Jeff Cobb to finally go one and eight. He had like the worst streak since like I think it wasn't on that it was it was one of the older veteran guys a few years back had went zero and seven and he was on he was in danger of doing like the first like complete Entire G1 defeated every single match uh, since Honman 2015. So I was like, "Come on, Yuge, don't do this. I'm actually behind you, big baby face fire." I'm sure with Honma. I think the Honma thing was in 2014. They mentioned it quite a lot, but then uh, Yuge at the very last minute managed to avoid uh, avoid going like completely zero. He managed to get those last two points at the end. And he also mentioned it was the only one and only time he used his cane as a weapon. And I'm like. Like, why the hell didn't Yujiro think about that earlier? Like, since when has Yujiro been above cheating, you know, as a member of Bullet Club? And then also you had that very interesting storyline with him and Jay White were in their match. Not only did he want uh, Yujiro to lay down, Jada even came out in his regular gear, came out in, like, a tracksuit and everything. The the, the sheer disrespect, and like, the fact that he, he, he got Yujiro to lay down, Yujiro was like, fine, I'll lay down, but then he kept on just dicking him about by... Oh, 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 you're too soon to count there, Reduce. Wait until him. Oh, oh. And Yujiro just eventually got fed up of it and went for like the roll up. And I was like, oh my God, is he about to go and pin Jay White? This could be a major upset here. Oh, yeah. Because like, even if that was his only win, getting it, Jay was still like, a favourite of most people on that block. Because like, I think it came down to him. It was still between him, Abushi, Okada, and Osprey up until the final night. But like, imagine Jay White's reaction back to him. To have lost to one of kind of the lower members of his faction. Yeah, I mean, absolutely outstanding story from like Yujiro, him and Yoshihashi kind of coming out of the tournament with almost entirely destroyed records, but they came out of it looking good. Both of them, they got a lot of people behind them, um, myself included. So if it just shows you the G one can be a turning point, even if it's not a win, it can still help really define a character and get people behind someone who they weren't behind before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And again, it leaves Jay White in an interesting position about what he's going to do at, at Wrestle Kingdom. As obviously, they wouldn't have went through this whole thing of back-to-back wins for Bushy. You know, he's on the road to becoming God or whatever he's, he's looking for. And then say, oh, by the way, now he's lost it. Better struggle to Jay White. <laughs> exactly. I mean, speaking of the man that's looking to become God, I'd say it's a good time to discuss. We've we've had so many matches. Um, if you include the Young Lions matches, that's been 114 matches in just under a month. The schedule got ridiculous, and now I've got to ask the hard question: What were what would you say? Like putting it down to like a top three, what were your three highlight matches, Scott? Oh, now you're asking me. Now you're asking me. Ah. <laughs> uh. I'm trying. I'm thinking. I'm not. I'm trying to not include the the final. Cause that's the most recent one, and it was a great match. But I'm trying to think of like the other matches. Uh, I will say I'll probably include Naito versus Sanada, given that like obviously Sanada winning was so kind of didn't seem so unlikely at the time. 
given the situation he was in, Ibushi versus Shingo because like Ibushi was on such a hot streak and and Shingo came in there and properly battered him. Nice. Uh, like, can I lump all of Yano's matches together into one entry? Because I'll I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Also, uh, I don't want like I don't like people saying like. Because we had a quite a few rematches, like I said, Osprey v Shingo, Kara versus uh, Ibushi. I don't like comparing matches to like other times they wrestled, but I think the Ibushi Okada match from night one of A Block was up there in terms of quality. With there, was just as good as their Wrestle Kingdom main event, which just goes to show the type of chemistry those two have together. Because like, death. Mm-hmm. Because like Ibushi, just again like. Throughout the entire tournament, as much as it's a shock it was for me to see him win, like, I can't say I, I disliked any of his matches uh, throughout the tournament. Yeah, I mean, that's those are definitely what I'd say solid picks. Um, and I think some, like, some of my picks are bits of overlap in regards to the talent involved. Um, for me, um, one of my top three would be Okada against Shingo. Mm. That, like Shingo coming into that, like, even calling out Okada, you're not using the Rainmaker. That pisses me off, and I'm fighting you. It's like, oh, like in single himself, a beautiful rainmaker. Oh, with the pose. And again, he took him right down the wire. Like, there's only a few minutes left when we kind of started probably walking in the money club, and I was yelling at my computer screen, like, just hang in there, single, take him to the full fatty. You're like, you'll have drawn with Okada, that'll, that'll be just as good as winning, because I don't think anyone saw him winning that match. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, another one, which we've kind of mentioned quite a bit, Ibushi v Taichi. That match just completely blew my mind because it, it shows that you don't need wild high spots and things like that to, to keep things going. It, it was just solid strikes and my God, it, like, it just felt like proper grudge match material, like as if these two properly hate each other. I was so invested. Mm-hmm. And my, my, my final choice, um, you'll be surprised because none of my matches I've chosen are Sanada matches. I felt that was just too easy for me to go down my fan, Sanada fanboy route. But my third <laughs> one is actually, it's Jay White and Ishii, that, that final A-block match, because the result alone merits it high for me. But also the fact this was Ishii's first sumo hall main event. And my God, what a, what a match he put on for it. Like, he, he showed why he is one of the highest rated guys um, and you know as the meme goes there's only one thing that men want and it's disgusting and yes it is Ishii to get a run with a heavyweight belt <laughs> I want to do throw a, kind of an honorable mention also for the uh, the main event of, uh, block, of B-Block the evil Sanada match because like we talked a lot about their match from uh, from the New Japan Cup semi-final where evil kind of first properly started to show us like maybe this is a, a whole new evil by the way he beat Sanada in that match. And then they had this match, and they mentioned that if this went to, like, if there was some sort of no contest, or if it went to a draw, Evil won, because Naito, uh, this is basically a tiebreaker thing, because they both beat Naito. So it was a lot of it was in Evil's favour, especially given that it actually had been a couple of years since Sanada had beaten Evil, because they usually came across each other in like, G1. And so like everything seemed to be against Sanada, you had Dick Togo on the outside and just like you felt like kind of like how Ishii kind of overcame the interference of of Gado the night before but kind of crank up a little bit Sanada overcoming 
evil with that roll up, uh, the O'Connor roll. It was just such a moment. He had, he had also Hiromo there as well. Yeah, I mean, absolute big, massive pop for that. Um, Sonada. And uh, the interesting thing setting up, you know, a clean final. When we went to that final, I knew I was like, Sonada and Ibushi, there's going to be no hijinks, there's going to be no shenanigans. This is just going to be a straight up wrestling match. And that's yeah. what we got. Yeah, because obviously with Dick Togo and Evil having a similar dynamic to Gero and Jay White, like a lot of people say that New Japan make the referees feel like seem like idiots, and like the Jay, these kind of matches kind of showed why. Because like how easily distracted uh, Red Shoes would be by Dick Togo or by Gero, or when one of the referees randomly just grabbed Gero, Red Shoes to obviously distract them while their out the corner man did something. You know, I think like, come on, Red Shoes, like you should know what's going on. You shouldn't. I know the guy's got holding and he's got like a hundred pounds on you, but come on, like. He's only there for way too long. Yeah, always been. I can agree there. Like sometimes the shenanigans with like the refs getting distracted in New Japan can feel a little bit cheap. Like they've literally got their hands in the ref holding them in the corner. Any other type, any other promotion, that would be like a, a DQ for like manhandling the ref. So like, once or twice, like, Gato properly just ran into the ring to kind of cause the distraction, risking a DQ. And like I can't remember who it was, but I think it was, it was definitely a Jay White match, but. Uh, Gato's interference was getting too much and Ken Hill just yells at the top of his voice what do you have to do to get DQ'd in this company? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's definitely a good point and then this will all lead me to the, the last question we've talked about the best matches we've talked about all this, the big stories that kind of went in and around the G1 and you know we could keep on going forever with how much goes on but the last one probably the hardest question well, who, who was your MVP for this tournament? I think I might say Jay White because even though he didn't get to the final, he was the person I was probably most invested in because I think he was at the top of my list to, to win it. And also given the fact that he won his first three matches against Shingo, Ibushi and Okada. So like those three matches back to back to back made it seem like at first like he was on this unstoppable role and like and you could tell he thought so too in the way he was just annoying everybody bragging about it already declaring it the G1 tournament instead of the G1 and then despite the fact that he is the heel using all these nefarious means how invested I was in wanting to see him win over Ishii even though I love Ishii as well and always you never count him out but how invested I was with his match with with the Ishii in the finals uh, my final night of A Block in the main event like I think again purely from an investment point of view yeah, uh, Jay White, because like again, somebody who didn't have a bad match. Like he also lost to Jeff Cobb, but it was still like a class. Because like, Jeff Cobb had a great G one. Like his matches with the likes of Ibushi and Jay White in particular showed like a clear difference in how, uh, like, because he had a much better tournament than he did last year. And commentary always talked about how Jeff Cobb seemed more confident this year. Yeah, and I mean that's that. I can definitely agree with your pick of Jay, Jay White there. You know, he did have a fantastic one, and we started to see a bit more of a sympathetic Jay White at some points as well. Um, mm-hmm. Also, the most the most heartwarming moment of all the backstage comments, hugging the person that gave him his cheers. He was just <laughs> he was just so happy about it. Um, yeah, I mean definitely Jay White for me. I I had a, I had a hard time deciding. It took me literally until about an hour before recording this to actually figure out who my MVP was because I kept on going between three people. Um, I was kind of torn, and all of them were A block. Um, I was mm-hmm. torn between Shingo, Cobb, 
but my actual choice, and I never thought I'd ever hear myself say this, but he's just been such a great force this year, Tai Chi. He put on a fantastic G1 performances. Like To me, it's a case of when Suzuki finally bows out, Tai Chi is going to be the one to take over the reins of Suzuki Gun. It's going to become Tai Chi Gun, and he's just got the right demeanour and he can be so callous and brutal, but he can also be entertaining and funny. He's, he's, an, he's became really an all-round package as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they said they've said before like he'd only be like this way against certain opponents, but now he's being this way. He's the more serious Tai Chi with just about everybody in the ring, and that was evident during the, the G one. Something else they about the G White one over I also think it was having it fall in the same venue on the anniversary of when Gato turned on Okada to join Jay White and then the fact that Jay White won and then they were rubbing Okada's face in it, saying like, oh, happy anniversary, Okada. And like they were referring to that moment as the single most important moment uh, in all of wrestling history and that he and Gato were responsible for it. It was just, again, perfect teal work from Jay. And also something I want to get your thoughts on, like not that there weren't good matches in B-Block, but what I've seen over the last couple of years, it always seems like they stack, they stack a A block more than they do B block, especially this year. They seem to be more star power in A block this year. Yeah, I'm I'm in, I'm in agreement there. I mean, B block itself to me, I felt A block was able to get away more with their star power and the, like the sort of the caliber of matches, and B block was kind of more your your characters themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, you you definitely got you definitely got that feeling. You know, the two blocks felt completely different which was good in some ways but bad in others because sometimes I'd be watching B-Block and it's like I just want a little bit more something out of this but sometimes you know A-Block could be a wee bit too much of like you know I need I need something lighter and you know it was good they had like you had Yano in B-Block I would have actually put Yano in A-Block to balance out A-Block a lot but more to give it that bit of break tone wise yeah because like evil and I don't even know what came down to those three at the end. Uh, you could tell it was going to probably come down to those three and then potentially Tanahashi in there as well when you looked at the lineup. Whereas I know it came down to four people in A block with Ibushi, Okada, White and Osprey. But even then, before that, you could all you could even see but uh, uh, Suzuki or Shingo trip working their way into the, the top of the table within the last couple of nights. Or even after his early performances, you could see Tai Chi being a favourite to go through at the final, uh, for the, to the Jiu-Jitsu finals. So again, there was like, there was more people who could have believably won it in uh, A block. Because like no offence to them, but I didn't at for a second think that the favourites to win the B block would be just Robinson or Goto. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's like there's some guys in there that are just like there. You can tell they're there to give a bit of substance to the field, kind of throw a couple of spoilers in there just to, so that it doesn't look too obvious because uh, a few people like sort of saying to me at the beginning, like friends from Estimate going, you know, your boy Sanada, there's no way he's making the final. He's no, no, no nothing in three. And I was like, watch this. The comeback is about to happen. He's got Naito next. If he wins that, I'm sure he's getting to the final. I was right. And, you know, mm-hmm. they, they know how they know how to book a tournament to make it so that it doesn't appear obvious who's going to win right for the get-go. Yeah, and like, I, think, I think what we learned is like the first few nights of the tournament shouldn't automatically be seen as a sign of how things are going. Because like 
likes of Jay White were winning a lot early on and Sonata was losing. And then look how things turned out where Jay White missed out on the final by just a little bit. And Sonata managed to sneak past Evil to get to the final. Exactly, you know, yeah, it's you know, you've got people sometimes think the start, but at the start, the schedule was lighter. There was bigger gaps between matches, whereas like you look at the last two weeks of it, there was eleven shows in less than fourteen days. That mm-hmm. is an unreal schedule, and you know, at, at, at that point, some of the guys that are going longer, like they, they kind of talk that about Naito a lot. His matches were long, which is great. You know, you're getting main event material matches, but how long can you keep that kind of pace up? on a big tournament like that. And it shows by the fact that he did pick up a few losses later on, where the first loss to um, Sanada, then drop into Evil, and, you know, last night with Kenta. So mm-hmm. it's ne- never make the assumption that it's going to go, because someone can go, that's two years in a row, we've had someone start nothing in three, and make it to the finals. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just love the way that Kenta won that, Matt, the way he just outsmarted we outsmarted Naito, but like, and I think also like you've seen some of the juniors that showed up for the final to be like in like tag matches, how fresh they looked because they'd had a month off. And you got to think unless Naito wants to team with like Sanada or Shingo, he's probably gonna have a month off during the best of super juniors uh, and world tag league are going on, which again is good for some guys that they get like some time off. So like if you were in the G one and you don't have like a tag partner, you do. Or tag league with, then that's like some time off for you after Power Struggle because, like, then it was like the night 18th of the G1 final, and then it went straight into the road to Power Struggle on the 23rd, so like five days gap. So, I think some guys are just thankful, like, thank God I'm not in World Tag League, I want some time off before the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> that's it, and it's you know, the fact that we're getting Tag League and Best of Super Juniors, we discussed that quite a bit, um, but I'd say it's a good point to say, you know, we've We've really we've we've really deep dived into this into this year's G one. We've mm. discussed where things are going with power struggle. Um, the next time that everyone's going to hear from us really is going to be when, as we discussed earlier, we've got a plan. These are going to hear from us again in November. We're going to we're going to record a show after power struggle, running down the after effects of that. What's going to be leading into Wrestle Kingdom? We expect, and also we should hopefully have our bloody announcement of who's actually in the best of Super Juniors and World Tag League because I don't know about you, Scott, but I'm getting impatient. I want to know. <laughs> you know us, Grant, like we're recording this a few days ahead of when it's going to be up. Knowing us, by the time this is actually released, like literally the day before, the day after we, the day, either the day before this is released or the day after we finish recording this, they're going to announce the full lineup for both tournaments. You just know that's what they're going to do because they seem to announce big news just after you record, like, there's like two days between us recording our new beginning special and the, and that episode going up, and in between those two days, uh, everything got cancelled because of COVID. So the last ten minutes of that podcast became immediately irrelevant. Yeah, so it's, this is this is the uh, the danger of trying to keep up with New Japan the podcast. You just you don't know what they're going to throw at us. But um, as I mentioned earlier, please listen to our other shows. Get us in suplex retweeting socials. This has been East Meets West. Thank you again, Scott, for being on with me, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to host it this time. No, it's been uh, great. It's been great to kind of change things up a little bit. You know, again, like you said, we have went quite a while longer than we than we've tried to the last couple of episodes. But I think, given the circumstances of this tournament, like you've got a month worth of matches to talk about in one show, so like you need a bit of time to deep dive, as we as you said.
That's it. And thank you for listening, everyone. This is us from East Meets West at Each Sleep Sleep Suplex Retreat. Good good night.